0: From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told, where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to the conversation.
1: In this episode of Financial Recon, I'm pleased to be joined by Matthew Ko, portfolio specialist from T. Rowe Price, where we take a look at where the markets and economy have been in 2021 and what may be down the road. Matt, thanks a lot for joining us today. You know, really appreciate your time and really just wanted to kind of dive into what's going on in the markets, the economy, everybody's, you know, kind of I don't know, the, the consumer confidence numbers are showing some uh, cracks or weaknesses. You know, what What are you guys seeing at T. Rowe Price?
2: Yeah. So from an economic perspective, as well as from our markets, I think what we're seeing is um, the extreme levels of very, very good data that we've seen and experienced thus far is starting to moderate. It's starting to peak and starting to roll over. Now, the concern is Um, perhaps due to just past history with uh, market participants that once things peak, they roll over pretty dramatically and then you go into a recession, right? Mm -hmm. So the markets seem to be reacting in that manner. Although our belief is based off of the data that we've seen thus far and the expectations for future data, things that are uh, economic growth and, and trends that are moderating doesn't necessarily portend a steep sort of cliff or falling off the cliff type of scenario, things will start to slow, but it'll be a gradual slowing. And so what that means is economic growth is gonna go from six, six and a half percent this year to perhaps 4% for all of next year, right? Think about where we were pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, we were somewhere between two and two and a half percent. So I'm looking at the next 18 months and we're gonna be at a level that's gonna be multiples of where we were pre-COVID. So yes, things are... Uh, are, are going to slow, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going back to a pre-COVID trend or a, uh, a, a recessionary type of environment anytime soon. And so this is something that I think in, uh, investors and individuals need to keep in mind that you know, the markets can sometimes overreact. They're overreacting to the slowing sort of uh, phenomenon here, but slowing doesn't mean a, a complete sort of economic contraction in the near term. And so I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the most important thing people need to to understand.
1: So, would you all attribute uh, some of this, you know, this massive jump to the the massive infusion of cash from the government over the prior year? Let's say,
2: yeah. So, if you look at what happened in um, you know early part of twenty twenty, um, a severe economic collapse uh, due to COVID mm-hmm. um, and, and COVID related shutdowns, and then um, at last count, nearly thirty trillion dollars of global stimulus. So this wasn't a U.S.-centric story. This was a global um, um, economic shutdown and and global economic recovery. So we have a number of central banks and government officials uh, committing dollars to try and combat that collapse. And so the $30 trillion of of stimulus in various forms um, ultimately found its ways into uh, the financial markets and and risk-taking activities ensued. And so that's why we've had this giant rebound or a very, very quick rebound in, in risk assets. But as well, uh, much of those dollars also helped uh, uh, spur the econo- economic rebound. And what we're seeing is that while the benefits of stimulus will still be there, we're not going to get another $30 dollars of stimulus over the coming year, right? That, well, that, I that hope moment, not. <laughs> those, the, those dollars committed are now going to be lesser dollars committed on a go-forward basis. Like if we think about what's happening here in the United States, um, the amount of government stimulus... Uh, in the form of actual stimulus checks to individuals is going away. We're, we're not getting another um, uh, stimulus check. And also the expanded unemployment benefits uh, that were a, a you know, lifeline to, to many who were laid off, you know, that's going away after Labor Day. And so you know, that means stimulus is, is being removed. Now, we do have infrastructure spending right, that can sort of uh, you know, help uh, spur and continue the, the economic recovery in the U.S. But the level of dollars committed to infrastructure spending is is well short of what we've experienced thus far, and, and, and the name of stimulus.
1: So you, so this kind of leads me into um, my next question, which is, you know, we're now in the period where this Delta variant has um, been playing out, and I've already seen the headlines. Um, oh, is there going to be a fourth stimulus? <laughs> Check going into people's pockets. Let's just say because you know numbers right now are starting to trend downwards while uh, we're talking here. Do we see kind of light at the end of the tunnel economically with the Delta variant? You know, causing you know these cracks in the consumer confidence and things.
2: So the, the Delta variant was certainly a concern. Um, and, and you know, if you if you go back uh, a couple of months, you know, there's a, a new variant. We don't know how efficacious the the current uh, vaccines will be, and there's still a pretty good large cohort of Americans who um, either refuse to, to get the vaccine or, or, or uh, um, may just uh, are waiting for you know, more data and clarity around the vaccines. Uh, either way, they're unvaccinated, and that could lead to a, a, a greater, spur, uh, I guess, um, spike higher in infections. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing is, and you alluded to this, that the data actually shows that uh, this Delta wave is peaked. Uh, There's various uh, modeling um, and forecasting that's done um, based off of current infection levels and, you know, the rate of spread or the rate of growth of those infections. And what we're seeing is that, you know, there's a curbing of that uh, or plateauing and then sort of a downward hooking of of the, the COVID wave here in the United States. And that may be due to the fact that, um, you know, we do have a very large percentage of the population vaccinated. We, you know, probably have a, a large number of individuals who are, um, who built up natural immunity. It's just sort of unaccounted for, or, or you know, it's, it's hard to to accurately assess how many individuals, you know, have natural immunity uh, just due to the lack of uh, um, uh, our ability to understand, you know, who's infected in, in the early waves of covid uh, but if you put it together, sort of some estimates around natural immunity, as well as those who see the vaccine, uh, you know, this Delta wave, you know, probably sought out and, and infected those who are most apt to being infected. And uh, as a nation, if things are plateauing and, and rolling over, you know, Delta wave concerns will will no longer be sort of front and center. It'll probably still linger in, 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 in the back of our minds um, at, a, at a state level or local level, you know, by county in the United States. You know, we may have certain areas like the southern belt that was the first in with the COVID wave that are now starting to, to, to be on the other side of that and starting to improve. Um, but that COVID wave seems to have been spreading a little bit more north. So you're looking at areas like West Virginia now starting to see a, a, an uptick in, uh, in case counts as well as Indiana. So, you know, I, I think here uh, because the U.S. population is so large and, and the land mass is so large, that will never as a nation go away from COVID, it'll just continue to just have sort of smaller, I guess, flare ups uh, from time to time. But the, from an economic standpoint, as a nation, you know, even with this most recent COVID wave, uh, where we had headline worries about COVID, you didn't see any real negative impacts to the economy. There was no shutdowns. There was no right, uh, lockdown uh, and, and as a nation. There was no sort of rampant fear. We have vaccines. The vaccines work. They're they're highly effective. And so it's a very, very high hurdle for us to ever get back to that place where we were in early 2020, where we shut down the entire economy.
1: Yeah, it seems like, you know, we're starting to learn to live with, you know, things and uh, make the necessary adjustments, which, you know, as those concerns about Delta subside leads to my next favorite topic, which is. The I-word, you know, I'm sure you, you'd never get tired of talking about is inflation permanent or the the new buzzword transitory? <laughs> uh, love using the uh, the 50 cent words there. What what's what's the thinking at T Row about where we stand from the inflation standpoint? Because I know myself, my clients, people listening to this podcast we're going to the grocery store we're going to, you know, I, I have clients who have auto parked or um, uh, garages and they're telling me they're getting notices for 15% price increases, this and that. So it seems like it's, you know, at least from what I'm gathering, it's pretty rampant.
2: Yeah. I think if you look at, you know, uh, at the individual level, what we're seeing in terms of inflationary uh, uh, pressures in terms of prices of goods, prices of you know, food items, even services all going up. Um, as the, the government measures it though, right? They look at uh, you know, something called CPI or, or PC sort of measures of inflation based mm-hmm. off of a lot of assumptions around sort of economic modeling. Um, and those data points also show higher levels of inflation, but maybe not to the same degree as what individuals are experiencing. Now, directionally, whether you're looking at the economic models or what individuals are experiencing, you know we are seeing higher levels of inflation. And that's largely come about because last year, we had a sudden stop to the economy and we laid off many individuals, some of whom who haven't even returned back to the manufacturing sector. Uh, There's still, you know, sort of unemployed, underemployed collecting paychecks. Um, and so as we are collecting stimulus checks uh, and, and expanded unemployment benefit checks, we're sort of living off of those. Um, but what, and, and also in this environment where we've gone to sort of start, sudden stop, I a sudden start. Right. Now we have all this excess demand. We've got all this demand to, to buying. You know, consumers want to buy goods. Uh, we have uh, we have but we have an inability to meet that demand. And so there's a little bit of a bottleneck in terms of what the supply is uh, to be able to meet that demand. Now, when we look at the underlying trends of, you know, at at least what the Fed sort of records or or models out and and, and tracks in terms of inflation, much of those inflationary pressures uh, seem to come about from sort of reopening uh, recovery related items. Things like, you know, used car uh, sales prices, you know, new car sales prices. uh, things like, uh, you know, hotel uh, rates, you know, uh, airfares, uh, you know, clearly uh, the, the price you pay at the pump to, to fill your tank, right? Those are things that seem to have the most upward bias and pressure to inflation. Um, and so when we look at that, we, we note um, yes, inflation is high, but the expectation is also that there's going to be a lot more supply coming online in order to meet that, uh, to meet meet the, uh, the demand, and so it's it's unlikely for car prices to continue to increase at a you know a double digit pop, right. It's, it's unlikely for airline fares to continue to increase, right? Um, and so what we're seeing is perhaps, you know, using the uh, the fifty cent word you, you threw out at the beginning, uh, maybe inflation is more transitory than it is going to be you know, sort of at a much higher uh, level for a considerable period of time. Now, that being said, I I I will note that inflation is likely to be somewhat persistently higher than where we were pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, inflation trends were about 2%, um, again, using sort of uh, the the figures, you know, uh, measured by uh, the government officials. Um, Today, those levels of inflation are somewhere around, you know, uh, north of 5%. Our belief is that you know, 5% inflation will start to you know, trend downwards to 4 and perhaps 3% inflation as we get into next year. So still a high level of inflation to where we were pre-COVID, but we may be sort of at peaking levels of absolute levels of inflation and things are going to sort of moderate income downwards.
1: So... Something that jumps to mind about, you know, like the, this kind of pent up demand and so forth, that's people are making up for lost time per se. Do you think that some of this is driven? These inflationary pressures are driven by a almost, a, I want to say like a repositioning of the workforce. And what I mean by that is there's been data out there about the number of ships sitting off the ports. They can't get them in. They can't Load them fast enough, get the goods to market. Something like that, where a truck driver just says, "You know what? I'm done with the long haul. I want to be with my family." COVID's changed that thought process for a lot of workers, not just obviously truckers. Do you think there's some of those workforce pressures that are driving this inflation?
2: Um, I, I, I think you, you touch on a very good point. Um, you know. Uh, I, I don't sit near a port, so I, I can't. Uh, I don't reside near a port, so I can't uh, accurately comment on that. Um, but I, I always say that if you're in any given town um, across America, and you go to a, a restaurant or a diner and you ask them, um, you know, do you have a job opening? Most would say, absolutely. Do you want? It? Do you want a job? Do you need a job? And if you ask them, you know, how hard or how easy is it for you to fill these positions? Most owners of those restaurants and diners would say it's very, very difficult. You know, somewhere because of COVID um, over the last year, individuals have just you know, perhaps, you know, decided that, you know, this is a very hard job. You got to be on your feet, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. You can't work weekend or you have to work weekends. You don't have the weekends off um, and you, you have very little time off and, you know, the wages were quite low. And so what we're seeing is that a number of restaurant owners are ha- are having to raise their prices uh, in terms of the hourly wage to to even attract individuals. You know, there was, there are stories in, in the Wall Street Journal or, uh, and other um, uh, newspapers where uh, some of the fast food restaurants were uh, combing through applicants two to three years ago to see if they would be, even be interested in, in showing up for an interview for a job, right? Like, think about how uh, how, how difficult that situation is to, to find an application from two years ago in your pile to say, Hey, right, Joe, do you, did, did you want to be a, uh, a line cook? And, you know, more often than not, you know, those individuals have probably moved on upon a different job, right. Or hopefully they would have found a different job in the last two years. But that's, that's, I think you know, to go back to your, to your point, you know, there is, uh, I think some consideration that needs to be done that, you know, COVID has really perhaps shaken um, the core of you know what you know some individuals believe right um, in terms of what they demand from work, what the benefits from work should be, and it's not just you know getting a wage, but also perhaps lifestyle benefits as well. And so, I, I think what we're going to see is that you know there's going to be sort of an imbalance between the positions that are open, as well as you know those types of jobs that individuals want. Um, now, some of this may also be exacerbated by the the uh, expanded unemployment benefits, about half the country today, you know, there's an additional several hundred dollars a a week that come in the form of unemployment checks because of the benefits from the federal government, Um, but that will cease post-Labor Day. And so once we get to, you know, sort of middle of September and certainly by, you know, like October, November, I think we'll have better clarity as to, are some of these imbalances truly sort of structural in nature that, you know, people just will not go back to working at ports or will not go back to working at restaurants Or, you know, maybe those jobs are filled, right? And it's just that once you're sort of removed from those, you know, uh, the the additional unemployment benefit checks, you know, individuals after, you know, maybe it's a couple of weeks, maybe it's a couple of months. At some point, they say, hey, I need to get my job back, right? I need to get paid um, because I got to pay the bills. Uh, We Mm -hmm. don't know what we will get better clarity as time goes on and we go past Labor Day to see, you know, sort of in a quote unquote normal environment, right? What do individuals do? in terms of the job opportunities that are uh, are out there and in terms of the job that they seek.
1: Something that also comes to mind is, you know, we're we're sitting here towards the end of this year. Prudently, you want to keep one eye on the future. And um, like you mentioned, we have some of these policies uh, expiring, like the unemployment supplements and so forth. One thing that's coming to a head in January, and I don't know if T-Row has any, um, you know, foresight on that. Do we see the student loan moratorium on the payments continuing on, which is, you know, injecting a lot of money back into people's pockets? Or is that become like a political issue that we see utilized for 2022? Because the fact of the matter is we have midterm elections coming now. We're almost a
2: year out. Yeah, I, I you know I, I don't think we as a firm we we've really weighed in on the student loan, um, you know moratorium. Okay. Uh, I, I think what we've seen right now though is um, the uh, the calling. There's been uh, political pressure, uh, mostly on 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 the uh, very liberal Democrats to uh, for Joe Biden to go and uh, essentially wipe out um, a large uh, portion of student debt for all right. Americans. Um, now, that's a you know, highly contentious issue. Um, thus far, you know, the executive orders have really been only focused on, you know, perhaps eliminating student debt for um, those uh, individuals who attended, you know, uh, fraudulent colleges, right? Those, you know, those colleges that, you know, signed them up to, right. uh, you know, get some sort of degree. And, you know, those uh, those, uh, those, institutions weren't able to actually right? Um, uh, keep their promise of of um, um, providing some sort of service to those uh, the, those uh, college attendees. So um, that seems to be much more narrow and and limited, and thus far in scope and impact than a broad um, sort of wiping out of student debts. Now that could be a, a massive callus for positive economic growth, right? those individuals who right, say, "Hey, right. I don't have to pay back ten, twenty, thirty, forty, <laughs> fifty thousand dollars of debt. I can go buy a car. Right? I can go." Well,
1: Americans aren't really mess- <laughs> well, except right now you know, it's the bizarro world where the savings rate is through the roof. You know, Americans are not known for necessarily being savers.
2: <laughs> so. No, no, they're not. No, they're not. Right. So <laughs> so that, that's going to have multiple impacts in a, in a positive direction. But again, it is a highly contentious issue. And it also brings about a long sort of other longer term um, questions around the affordability of higher education as a whole. Uh, if yep. you were to think about it, um, if you are a college institution, say, wait a minute. You know, I can keep raising my prices, and people have to come to my institution because you know they want to get a degree and they want to get a job, right? That's 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 the promise. Um, but and they're going to take out loans. These loans can't, uh, you know, uh, you know, if, if they can't pay it back, well, the federal government will pay it back, right? It's so it's 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 a, uh, you know, it's sort of a win-win for the institution to just keep raising rates and and, and to keep dangling out the uh, the promise of hey, come to my institution and you'll get a degree. Now, you know, I I, I don't have foresight as to. You know how this will all end, or you know, like right, what's right. the right answer? But I, I, all I, I wanted to bring up is that it may seem like a positive in the short end for you know various individuals who've taken out those loans, but longer term, it may cause even more imbalances and just what higher the cost of higher education for for individuals in this nation in the future.
1: Yeah, I just I'm just approaching it as if we already have inflation from pent up demand and people getting extra money. And you now potentially wipe out debt and they have this injection of cash again, that could be, you know, um, another potential driver of like for retail and so forth um, down the road. But, I mean, let's let's, I guess, like look at the, the big picture, though, right now, Um what would you say like for the economy we're going into the fourth quarter or you know we're halfway through the third going have the fourth here in in sight what are the you know headwinds and tailwinds you see for the markets and the economy
2: yeah i, I think there's more tailwinds than there are headwinds again you know while things will moderate meaning things will start to slow um, generally, the direction is still in a very, very positive direction. Economic growth is going to be, you know, very strong. Um, we have, you know, you, you brought up, you know, consumer savings. Uh, uh, consumers here in the US um, have about $2 trillion of you know, excess personal savings. That's a level that's never been seen for the mm-hmm. American consumer. Um, and, and not just savings levels, but household wealth. Household wealth levels have hit newer record highs each and every consecutive quarter since about the middle of last year. So you know, not just savings plus wealth, but the ability for individuals to borrow, should they choose to borrow, right? There's ample liquidity available from, from banks to borrow uh, and, and to get loans and to use credit cards. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of positives and the strength of the consumer is, I think, truly um, unprecedented relative to, you know, sort of past recession to recovery cycles. And what I mean by that is if you think about a normal recession, mm-hmm. people lose jobs. Um, and then by the time you, and, and there is no stimulus checks, right? And so w- w- while you lose your job in that recession, you know, you're drawing down on all the savings that you've had or hopefully had in order to uh, buy some time until you get your, uh, your next job. And once you get that next job, um, and perhaps it's during the economic recovery, you're trying to build back up your savings, right, in, in order for you to then feel confident to actually spend in this recession because the government was actually giving money to individuals, um, uh, in the depths of that, and in the depths of the COVID crisis, uh, people were spending, you know, during the recession, and people were certainly spending post the recession, right? So there's there's never been this sort of, you know, sort of pause in actual spending, and and the level of wealth is just so strong that the consumer will continually, I think, or have the ability to continue this economic recovery. So that's that's a that's a very very big positive. Um, I also think, you know, if you think about vaccines, you know, here in the U.S. We, we benefited immensely from having access to vaccines. Um, but outside the United States, that wasn't the exact, uh, they weren't in a similar situation. Uh, There's a number of areas in, in both the developed world, areas like Europe and Japan, um, as well as the emerging markets um, where, you know, citizens and, and individuals just had no access to vaccines or the, 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 um, the vaccine that they did have uh, may have been from you know lesser or less effective uh, versions of the vaccine from from different uh, manufacturers. <laughs> oh right? yeah,
1: uh, uh, and very familiar. My uh, sister-in-law is from Hungary, and the stories of what her parents were being offered. So yes, <laughs> this is, to put it mildly. But anyway,
2: <laughs> but well, so what we see is that uh, because of that, it really, really weighed on and, and sort of the. the the recovery where the U.S. did well, but a number of other nations, a number of other regions weren't able to participate. But now that vaccine supply is increasing around the world. And what we're starting to see is similar types of behavior and consumers outside the United States as what we've enjoyed here in the United States. As vaccines uh, are more uh, widely administered, you're starting to see the confidence start to return back to consumers. And also for government officials to say, you know, let's reopen the economy. So this is going to provide a benefit, I think, over the coming year. And it's not going to be just a U.S. right sort of led economic growth engine. It's going to be a participation across the entire globe as we re- as we move from a COVID on to more of a COVID off type of world.
1: Got it. This is a perfect segue as well into um, the last question that I I always like to ask people in finance industry, especially. What is the one thing that is keeping you all up at
2: night? What is keeping us up all at night? Um, So I think if you look at just economic data, things are good. There's no real concerns there. Um, You know, that perhaps we have some sort of like newer mutated form of COVID that causes a a, a complete shutdown again. You know, there's, there's one that the scientists have, identified as like the, the, I believe it's called the Mu yeah. uh, variant <laughs> that is the, the newer one that seems to sort of be able to escape all uh, sort of vaccines. Um, and it could be sort of like the, you know, distant cousin to, to the existing COVID strain. So this one's going to act like a whole new virus, right? So that's one, um, you know, that, that's something that, that, that is certainly worrisome. Um, I, I think um, the other thing that's uh, a little bit worrisome is that uh, the, the scale of this recovery has really been built off of you know a lot of the the stimulus benefits and as those stimulus benefits start to wane um that you know poses a question you know do individuals uh you know financial market participants you know take direction from stimulus and liquidity or you know and and as that liquidity starts to sort of uh, be removed then does that cause some sort of reaction right from those investors who We've only seen the markets go up and to the right when there's a lot of you know massive doses of uh central bank stimulus oh, and, so and like instead of a
1: of a taper tantrum like a, a shopper tantrum thats
2: that, that's that you know that's what i'm living to right like what happens if <laughs> we start to remove that you know do we start to see you know uh, risk assets start to to do uh less well or perhaps even poorly um i also think that um, if you look at the ver- various measures of scores around sentiment positioning, you know, individuals are very positive on the markets. Um, you know, professional money managers are, are fully positioned in, in the money markets and have a you know, very, very low cash position. So, you know, this is a sign where, you know, uh, market participants are bullish. And when things are very, very bullish and things have done well, it begs the question, well, can things continue to do well? And if everyone's already bullish and fully invested, where does that next right incremental buyer come from to help propel the markets even higher? Um, so uh, that, that's you know something that's a little bit worrisome. Now I would say that you know these worries are all sort of you know at the, the at the margin at, at the margins, right? This isn't something where we've identified like this is something you really need to worry about. You know we're due for some sort of big collapse in the markets where we're going to see you know a drawdown like we saw in early part of 2020. That type of you know, correction, that type of pullback usually only occurs during recessions, right? So in a normal state of the economy, when things are sort of trending upwards and things are doing well, yes, you can have a pullback, but a pullback tends to be more shallow, we'll call it like a 5 or 10% sort of pullback in the markets versus something that is you know, sort of multiples at 5 to 10% type pullback. So that bigger type of concern, we don't have at the current moment. Um, it's more of the more shallower type of drawbacks that could be, you know, that could be had for a number of different reasons. The ones I had outlined as well as, you know, perhaps all the ones like, uh, you know, uh, maybe corporate tax rates go up and individual income tax rates go up to pay for infrastructure spending. right? And that could act as a catalyst because very rarely do do um, individuals and companies uh, uh, like um, tax rates uh, going higher and very rarely do financial market participants, you know, enjoy uh, uh, corporate profitability coming downwards as, as tax rates go up, right? So that could also act as a callus where you could have uh, a, a short-term pullback.
1: I would think, you know, there's been a lot of data out there that investors have been, you know, buying the dip per se. You know, a well, pullback might not be the worst thing at this point.
2: I, I would agree. I think what you need to see is, you know, that for, for the markets to kind of continue to make, you know, strongward movements um, to provide sort of more opportunities, a pullback would you know, would, would be rather healthy. I, I think what we would see is, you know, if the fundamental, the narrative of strong fundamentals, economic growth, right, consumer uh, spending ability, corporate profits as well, you know, if those haven't changed, they're still directioning in a positive manner. And we just had a, a, a small pullback. That would be a, a very positive opportunity, right, for individuals to say, listen, the backdrop of the economy and the markets are still really good you're now getting things at a discount, right? Like put your money into the markets. I I think that would be a very, very positive development.
1: Awesome. Well, unfortunately, I guess the recycling truck has signaled our end of our conversation, (laughs)
2: but but thanks a lot, Matt. I appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us today. To continue the conversation, visit us at our blog, financial-recon.com. Appearances do not constitute endorsement of flagship wealth management group, LPL Financial, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Matthew Coe and Tiro Price are not affiliated
1: with or endorsed by LPL Financial or flagship wealth management group.